mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey guys, it's Candace and Kayla, and we are directionally challenged. Yep, we thought we would have it all figured out by the time we're in our 30s. But surprise, we don't. No, we don't. And that's okay. I'm here to tell you, Candace, it's okay that we don't have it all figured out. <laughs> Thank you. Speaking of, it's a new year. Did you make any resolutions this year at all? No, I've not been much of a proper... I think that, to be honest, with the pandemic, there hasn't really been a lot of New Year's resolutions. I think I was more into them before, not really sticking to them, but just the excitement of kind of starting one or putting it out there, but still kind of in this pandemic world, there hasn't really been a lot of resolutions. It's more just kind of going with the flow. That's really the resolution. <laughs> I totally get it. And that in itself is also a resolution. I mean, I know the ones that I made this year were nothing crazy. It was, you know, cleaning out my closet, cleaning out the garage, kind of, I guess the Marie Kondo of it all, starting fresh, starting new. And it's interesting because as I was doing that, I was realizing that I was putting aside all these bags of old clothing that ha I hadn't really worn and old things that had just been sitting in the garage for so long. And I had the intention of taking them to Goodwill. And the truth is, I had to be honest with myself and say, a lot of this, all, I will be lazy and end up throwing away. And that is not OK. It's terrible. I'm the first one to admit that there's a problem with that. Huge problem. Is that what you normally do? And this is not a judgment question. This is just a question question. No, I, I get it. I Here's what I normally do. I will take the bag and put it in my trunk with the intention of finding somewhere to drop it off, finding somewhere to donate it, finding somewhere to resell. 
And it will not be a priority of mine. And it will sit there for a really long time. And then eventually I'll get frustrated and have to put the stroller or suitcases in the trunk or something else. And then I'll take them and I'll toss them. And this is why I wanted to have the conversation we're having today, because I knew or maybe I'm just terrible. And there's so many, so many better people on our planet, which I hope that's the case. No, I will say that it is a bigger I'm a big reseller like I am. I actually don't know if you know this about me. I like even here in Nashville, I've taken a lot of things like I will usually it's like a weird little day where I just know it's going to take all morning or all afternoon and I will drive and I will resell a whole bunch like suitcases full. I will even split it up and be like, okay, well, this resale really likes these kinds of jackets. And so I'll make sure it goes to that store. And then I know it's it's a whole thing. And it's that's been, incredible. Well, I you that's how I used to shop back in my club days, you know. I used to need a new cool outfit to go out on a Friday night and was on a tight budget. So I would go resell clothes, get the store credit, get a new outfit, and then just try to get people to buy me free drinks all night. Because <laughs> but that it's at least you doing your part. And that's a, that's a good thing. That's a step in the yeah. right direction. I, it, I've held on to it all the all these years later. It takes time, you know, especially nowadays, you have to really sit down. There's a long line with COVID protocols. It takes a lot longer to resell clothes nowadays than it used to. And even donating, finding the right donating place uh, that will just kind of accept everything as opposed to going through each piece where sometimes there are certain things that they won't take, you know, a lot of like bathing suits, undergarments, Mm -hmm. workout clothes, you know, a lot of those things don't always get resold. And I admire any patience that anyone has to do kind of the online resale because that in itself can also feel like a full-time job. But I totally get it. So just know it's not you. It does take a long time. It has to be like a priority. But when you have a life and a family and a whole bunch of other priorities, oh, and the pandemic we're all still living in, it's hard (laughs) to set aside the time to go sit in a really busy store, you know, on a Thursday afternoon, wait half an hour to hear your name called, you know, just for some girl named Trixie to tell you that half your clothes are ugly and unsellable. (laughs) Right. But I was really, it's really true. But I was realizing that there's a bigger problem here because if I'm doing this, a lot of people are. And we hear all the time about what we can do to save our planet. But fashion and the fashion industry is not a topic of that conversation. So when it comes to clothes, the impact that they have on the planet, it's just less obvious because we can easily get rid of it. And it's not a topic of conversation. So Today, we want to discuss fashion and more specifically fast fashion and its impacts on the planet. So we are going to interview a fashion label that is doing something to counter their global impact. We are specifically talking to Shilpa Shah. Um, She created Kuyana, a fashion label that 97% of all materials used are sustainable. With her MBA from Berkeley Haas School of Business, Shilpa co-founded Kuyana in January 2012 during her last semester at school. And in 2020, they made the promise to reach 100% sustainably made materials by 2022. We are going to talk to her about that and so much more. We want to talk to her about how they at Kuyana are able to do this and why the entire fashion industry isn't necessarily racing to do the same. So without further ado, here is our conversation with the lovely Shilpa Shah. And we are here with Shilpa Shah. Shilpa, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited to have this conversation with you. You know, we hear all the time about what we can do to save our planet, but most people don't consider fashion or more specifically fast fashion to be on that list. When it comes to our clothes, the impact that they have on the planet just seems less obvious. But it's 2022. We're all cleaning out our closets. We have New Year's resolutions. And the truth is a lot of those clothes end up in the dump. And I'm speaking for myself, uh, mainly. I read as I was researching this episode, Business Insider said, and I quote, equivalent of one garbage truck full of clothes is burned or dumped in a landfill every second, every second. So, I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, we'd love to get your opinion on this just to start more broadly. How do you think we got to this point? And why is no one really talking about this right now? I think I think that's a really good question. And, and thank you so much for having me. I love, love the podcast. And I, I feel very honored to be included. So I am passionate about this topic, Kayla and Candice, and I'm excited to get into it. And I do think it's a really good one to ask ourselves. I, I think the problem began 
you know, I, I, I can't pinpoint exactly when, but years and years ago, when we stopped caring about how products are made, when we got more removed from actually making it ourselves or are going to like a local dressmaker, a tailor, you know, that when we started sourcing materials that weren't native to, to where we're from and the more and more separation we had, the more the more we stopped thinking about where things came from, the impact of the environment and how much toil it takes to make a garment. Um, so I, I think it's it's I think it's somewhere in there, probably in the last hundred years or so, that we've really become disconnected. I don't think Instagram has helped. I mean, it's a great way to no. showcase <laughs> a great new outfit uh, and also to market, you know, your business, uh, whether it's a brand, whatever you want to market. But but I feel like that's kind of played a part into it, too. This idea of I mean, I've I've been that person where I'm going on a trip and I have clothes that are specifically designated an Instagram photo in front of some sort of monument. And then I'm like, well, I already wore that. I can't post another picture in that. Yeah, no, it's true. I think this problem has only just sped up to your point, right? Because everything is going faster and faster and faster. Like even, you know, with the fashion runway, right? Like by the time the, the products actually even come out, the collection launches, it's already dated. Yeah. Right. So, right. Um, you know, it's a it's a really difficult <laughs> landscape to navigate as a brand, as you mentioned, and as a consumer. Right. And then and then not to mention that fashion is supposed to be fun. Right. Like already as women, we feel guilty about so many things. And then the one thing that we really love to enjoy and indulge in and makes it makes us feel good. Now, all of a sudden, that's a guilty weighted thing. So it's a it's a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing to navigate for the consumer, for the brands, for everyone involved. Right. And as a consumer, I mean, I, I'm speaking from my experience, but who doesn't love a deal? I love yeah. a good deal. <laughs> and I love it when things are affordable, right? So I think for me, it's trying to find that balance, right? And I know, you know, for some people who are listening to this, who are trying to do their research to figure out, you know, where and how their garments are made. I mean, is there a spot that we can go to to figure that out? I know you guys at Kuyana have all of your credentials listed on your website. Is there is there a communal place that shares this information or anything like anything accessible so that makes it so that it makes it easier for us as a consumer to figure out where our clothes are coming from? There are there are places I will say it's not as consumer friendly as you would want it to be, but we do have the Sustainable Apparel Coalition. Um, there are definitely movements, you know, worldwide, the Fashion Forum in Europe. So there's a lot of there are do definitely a lot of resources. I think the problem, though, is, is that being what does sustainable fashion even mean? because there are so many steps in making something. So you could use less water when you harvest cotton, right? Does that make you sustainable? You can make products that are completely biodegradable. Is that sustainable if it doesn't last very long and you're consistently buying more and more of those pieces, right? So if you're sacrificing longevity, there's just so much nuance in it that I think anyone who calls themselves sustainable is a lying because it's not, you can't, it's not a black or white Boolean thing. It's a, it's a journey, not a destination, and you can always get better at it. So I think that's one place to start and really start making a list of brands that do champion the things that you're interested in. But you do have to look into the nuances. And that that's really difficult as a consumer. I'll give you a prime example. Is vegan leather sustainable? What does that even mean? I have no idea. I actually do have a question about vegan leather because, I mean, on one hand, sometimes I'm like, oh, it's not as expensive as real leather. Right. But then and maybe it's it, obviously for anyone that doesn't want to wear leather, it's a better option for. But then at the same time, some vegan leathers are just as expensive as real leathers where I'm like, what are we doing now? What What is the difference? Right. So. <laughs> I, I can I can help a little bit on this question. I mean, I could say unilaterally about 10, 15 years ago, vegan leather was absolutely not sustainable because it was plastic, right? It was petroleum based, right? It's not, it's completely synthetic. However, in the last, you know, five, 10 years, you are getting other products like cactus leather, mushroom leathers, other things. Unfortunately, none of them have the structure to stand on their own, 
So anything that is even cactus or mushroom leather is usually also backed up with some kind of PU, some kind of plastic. So, so it all depends on your your viewpoint. So sustainability, is it about animal rights? Is it about, you know, the environmental impact? Is it about water use? Is it about carbon emissions? Like what, what is it about? So I think this is why it's such a difficult question to unpack. What do you think we should be looking for? What is, from your perspective, having done all the research, is mushroom leather something we should absolutely be focusing on? Or, I mean, I guess it's just such a broad topic, it's really hard to, there, there may not be one specific answer. But from your perspective, is there something specific that we as the consumer should be looking for so that we feel like we can do a better job at helping our planet? I, I actually do think there is an answer. It's not going wow. to equivocally make the difference and and make all of our environmental impact of fashion go away. But it is our philosophy that if you can just use what you buy, so if you can do that and shop with intention and not shop for one-offs, that you indeed will make an impact. Right. So those that's like a fundamental place to start. And and I know, Kayla, I agree with you. Everyone does indeed love a deal. But you have to unpack that a little and realize that the deal is part of the problem. Right. When we when we think like, oh, this is 50 percent off, let me jump on it. But we don't actually factor in. I'm going to use it 50 times. I'm going to wear it in this way. This is how I'm going to reinvent it. Then it is super wasteful. Right. Right. It's true. Yeah, that behavior also what, you know, Candace, what you're saying, I don't think it's bad to have that moment in front of the monument with something fresh that makes you feel beautiful. But is there a way to actually, you know, sell that back, recycle it, do something, gift it to someone else who will wear it, reinvent it? Like those, I think those are the types of questions that we're asking ourselves. Which are very important questions uh, to keep in the back of our minds. Now, obviously, we want to talk about Kiana. And, you know, this is almost this going into your 11th year with your co-founder, Carla Gallardo, which is so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. You guys were ahead of the curve on wanting to make a brand that was not only sustainable, but that really made your consumers think about why they were buying it. I've, you know, listened to you speak so passionately, specifically about um, trying to not necessarily just teach your consumers about why the product is made, how it is made, but, you know, why they should want to know how it was made and why it was made. So if you could talk to us a little bit about, you know, the birth of Kiana and why you guys, because you didn't just like make a fashion brand and say, you know what, we're going to flip this and now make it sustainable. From day one, you had a whole list of priorities that was really important to you in building this business and this brand. Yes. And it came down fundamentally to quality, to quality, to story, to heritage, and to not have waste, right? And we made, one of the things that we did was really just make all of these values that we had, right? Like we we were dreamers and we were thinking, could we actually make a brand that delivered the product quality we feel that we deserve, at prices that were more accessible, right? No, you know, like, yes, you could find a quality handbag at $2,000, right? But at more accessible prices um, that had integrity, right? That actually connected you to how pieces were made. So that was the dream that was Guyana. And we actually named it Guyana because it means to love, right? So could you actually make a brand where you loved the brand, loved the pieces, loved how it was made, that your, your love actually deepened the more you wore it? But in order to do that, it was it was a it was a theory, right? Um, and we went out to see if we could actually do it. And the sustainability pieces of it actually became inherent into what made business sense. Um, so that was part of the magic as to how we were able to execute it. And so what made business sense is not to make you know a thousand handbags you couldn't sell, such that you had to put five hundred of them at fifty percent off. Right. What made business sense was to be able to make more if you had more demand. Right. And so these kinds of things led us to marry the quality we wanted alongside kind of the supply chain that made sense. So we started, um, you know, like 
we started by going to each country as to where the material came from and trying to find the manufacturers from there. We didn't have any background in fashion. So I think if we knew anything about the fashion industry, we'd be like, that would be crazy. Like, who's going to go visit 10 to 15 countries to build a supply chain, right, that's distributed, <laughs> that has its own challenges? But we didn't know. And so we we kind of did what, you know, my mom did when she would take me back to India. You find the best quality silk and you find a maker who makes that silk, right? Like what Carla's, you know, what they did in Ecuador. You find the best quality tokia straw and you make, you know, find the makers that make the hats. Like you go to Argentina, you find the best quality leather and you find these artisans that craft that leather, right? And so we did that country by country. And the beautiful thing was that we got all this heritage because you can't think about those countries without those materials. Like how can you even imagine China without its silk, Right. And so it was really about bringing beauty and connecting our consumers back to what they were wearing. Because remember the landscape in which we launched, you know, it was fast fashion for days. Right. People were just, you know, like faster faster clothes, wearing it once, giving it back, polyester, synthetics, right? Like the, you know, the dominance of Forever 21 and H&M. And we just would, as consumers, you'd buy those things and you have a closet full of all of these pieces that you hated, right? You wore once and you might have a good story to tell, but you didn't actually want to wear it again or you washed it once and then you felt guilty about it because it was in in pieces. Well, and also there's a difference between being in your 20s and just like throwing on a cute dress and being like, woo, I'm going out. And then all of a sudden, you know, I don't know, at least I have felt in my 30s now, maybe I want a little structure. Maybe I want like a little bodice. Maybe I need a little support and I, I need something to be made that's going to that has intention as opposed to that's just going to fall apart once because that yeah yeah you graduated graduate you were ready (laughs) (laughs) you were ready for nicer things that actually made you feel beautiful in a different way right it wasn't about that flash in the pan like I'm gonna like just go out tonight and you know I don't care if I spill you know 10 drinks on it right right you know it was it just was a different it was a different mentality, right? And that you wanted those pieces to mean something. Right. I guess that's called growing up, right? <laughs> I <Yeah>. think. <laughs> hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. 
It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good because that's where 310 Nutrition comes in. It's helping me and our listeners in the new year with protein and super rich food products with so many options and flavors. Right now I have the chocolate bliss and caramel sundae and they are both so (laughs) delicious. I have to hide them from my husband so that he doesn't steal them too. They're a triplex protein blend, plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix My favorite is the peach mango flavor. So not only am I hydrating and drinking water, I have an electrolyte blend, vitamin blend, and it's sugar-free. With one stick of hydrate mix into 16 ounces of water, and it can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking two to three bottles of water. Thank you. This way I can keep my resolution, keep feeling strong, have greater focus, feel refreshed, and maintain my hydration without having to drink as much. One of my favorite refreshing water enhancers they have is the lemonade flavor. It gives me energy. This one's also sugar-free. It's used with real lemons and it's pH balanced. And this also offers the same hydration as two to three bottles of water. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code CHALLENGED and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products that you know you'll use and will help you keep your resolution. So go to 310nutrition.com and use the code CHALLENGED right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310-nutrition.com and use code CHALLENGED. It's all the good stuff your body needs in flavors you crave. So be healthier effortlessly. And we're back. You at Kuyana have so many specific pieces that are so versatile. I own a few and, and absolutely love them. But um, what I love so much about them is let's just use your wide leg silk pant, for example. I can throw a t-shirt on and it looks great, or I can really dress it up and wear it over the holidays, you know, when I go to church with my family or whatever. So it is really versatile. And I know you guys create with intention like that. I would love to for you to talk to us about your cashmere, because this is something yes. that blows my mind. This is your recycled cashmere, to yes. be specific, because you guys came out a few years ago with recycled cashmere. And quickly, you were the leader in that category, because I believe it's 95% recycled cashmere, correct? It has even gotten better. So it's at 97, 98% recycled now. Yes. (laughs) I mean, which is really, truly such an accomplishment. And what I want to ask you is when you accomplish something like this, that not a lot of other companies do, do you did you have a mass summoning where other creators said to you, hey, how did you do this? We want to be able to do this, too. This is something that will make a huge difference. Or did is there more of a competitive aspect within the sustainability brands and you they don't really come to you, but they try to do it on their own? I'm, I'm hoping there's some sort of camaraderie between the brands. Yeah, it's it's a mixed bag. You know, it's there's some there definitely are like, again, that sustainable apparel coalition, right? Like you you join mm-hmm. as a member and you like brands share, right? You have the Patagonias of the world that are just, you know, like open books and want everybody to to do better. So you definitely have brands like those. Um, but then you also have the other brands that are, you know, very territorial about it and sadly are saying more. They're even saying bigger sustainability statements than we are, right? That they don't back up, right? They're saying 100% recycled cashmere. And I'll go back to my production team and be like, how did these guys reach 100, right? Like, I want to reach 100. And they'll say, well, you know, actually, it's impossible. Like, this is everything we found. You have to ver- mix a little bit of virgin fiber in order to give it structure and longevity. We don't know how they did it. Like, we've asked a million times, right? Like, this is what it goes to make a sweater. And you're like, wow, they're probably just greenwashing. That sucks. Right, right. right. And so now you have a consumer who's super confused because they're seeing, you know, like luxury cashmere sweaters from a unique glow. They're seeing other brands put out recycled and they don't they don't understand the difference. Like why does one cashmere sweater cost a hundred bucks, another one two thousand dollars or recycled cashmere at two fifty? Like what what goes into those prices? It's such it's such a mess. And and that's where brands do not work together. 
And just for our listeners, because I didn't know that term of greenwashing before I started researching, can you explain to them what that is? Yeah, essentially, essentially, it's saying you're sustainable for marketing reasons, right? So you're green, you're making all of your language more green, you're washing it with green to say that you are indeed a sustainable brand and you're using it in other terms. You're almost manipulating the consumer into buying based on their environmental values, right? Um, you know, and it's, it's a marketing tool and you actually can't back it up. Right. It's false, completely false marketing. Or exaggerated. Okay. okay. We'll <laughs> Not be, fully we'll be, false, but... We'll be kind. Yeah, it's exaggerated. Like... <laughs> okay. I mean, we, you know, and it was really hard for us because like you, like you asked at at the at the beginning, Candace, like we kind of had these sustainability measures at the heart of our brand from day one, but we didn't call it sustainability. You know, we never called it back then. The terms were more fair trade or, you know, organic or like they there were other terms that people were talking about. We never used those terms either because we were never going to be 100% of anything and we were worried about labeling it because we always knew we could do better. So we weren't using it for marketing. For us, it was about you know, actually getting to the quality that we cherish to these artisanal craftsmen luxury supply chains, right? And artisanal even as a word is problematic because that mean does that mean, you know, like small little maker in the corner, or does it mean that they celebrate, you know, a heritage craft and can achieve that luxury quality, right? And that's the latter is what we were after. And to work with people who had integrity, right? And the only way we could do that is if we made products that made sense, right? So like we couldn't do this across the board um, for those kind of statementy pieces that you want to, you know, wear to the Oscars. Um, but we could do it for, you know, for your for your sweaters, for your silk pant, for your, you know, your pajamas, the things that you're wearing all the time and, and embed design and beauty into those. I think nowadays, so many people are starting to take their destinies and their lives in their own hands by wanting to jump into entrepreneurship and start their own business. And with, you know, the access to being able to create your own shops online, it's the tools out there on one hand have never been more easier to grasp. But on the other hand, I think a lot of people have a a different idea of what actually goes into starting specifically a clothing brand and a clothing line. You guys were direct to consumer in the beginning, it was a little different from a lot of other brands out there. And now you're seeing a lot of brands leaning into that. What was your biggest learning curve in in, in starting your business for anyone that just thinks, oh, you just like start this clothing line and you start this thing with t-shirts and then you just sell it online and you get to wear cute clothes on Instagram. And it's just so easy and fun all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, which is, yeah, it's, uh, I have so many thoughts because man, it was not easy. And then anyone who's doing it to, to wear a cute clothes, like clothes on Instagram, like the reality is so far from that, you know? Yeah, you're right. It's, it's, you can launch a brand overnight these days, right? There's like no barriers to entry, but I think what your podcast listeners want to understand and hear and what you guys do so well is why like finding your why, right? Like, why are you doing this? Why are you making what you're making? Why are you launching anything and finding that direction for yourself? And so for us, it was really because what we wanted didn't exist out there and we felt like women deserved better, right? And so it took, it was it was so difficult. And now it's easy to say, oh, yeah, we were a direct-to-consumer brand. But back then, you know, investors didn't believe in brand. They didn't believe in inventory. They didn't believe in all of these aspects um, that they do now, right? And and now I think direct-to-consumer is actually a mistitle for Kuyana because direct-to-consumer essentially means that you make these products and then you sell directly to a consumer online or through your own store, right? But you haven't changed the way the products are made. Largely, those D2C brands make them exactly the same way as everyone else. And it's it's come to light lately that some of them don't even make it. They outsource it to, you know, to a private label company, right? And they literally just put the brand on it, launch a website and sell direct to consumer. Whereas Quiana, we change the way products are made right? We didn't go to big, large factories in Asia. And what? why is that? We didn't go to big, large factories because it required us to make 
5,000, 10,000 units of something that we didn't know we could sell, right? So minimum order quantities are super high. And the biggest problem I would say in fashion is the waste in how much they overproduce, right? And so big fashion companies are selling on average 60 to 70% of the collections they make. So what happens to, so yes, we have waste in our own closets, 100%. But what happens to that 30 or 40% of what they're making that they're not selling? Like that's that's the impact, right? Whereas Guyana's sell-through is at 90%, right? Because we have control over the quantity. So we actually went country by country. Like our first travel case set order, I, I, I never forget, like our, our Argentine supplier was like our, a, a father to us, to Carla and I. And he was like, okay, fine, fine. I'll take you guys on. You know, I'll, I'll make these, you know, cosmetic cases for you. Like, let's let's do it. Okay, so how many do you want? 200, 300 of each color. And we're like, no, no, we want 20, 20 to 30. And he's like, okay, 20 to 30 of each color. That's kind of small for me. We're like, no, no, we want 20 to 30 total because <laughs> we were just launching. We didn't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We didn't know how mm-hmm. we were going to, and we weren't going to spend all this money on something that didn't actually resonate with the consumer. Let's see if it was the right quality. Let's sample it. And now we sell those cases in the thousands, right? We're, we're 10 years into this product. There still isn't a competitor that can make it as good as we can, right? And that And that is the difference, right? But we order to our demand, we're not wasting, we're not wasting all this supply or all this excess. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it took us a lot of steps and I'm, I know I probably went off in some tangent, but Candace, please redirect me. No, is that a pitfall <laughs> when people do start off in the fashion industry where they can get kind of taken advantage of because they think they just need to take on these big orders? I mean, again, so many people are working from home right now. So many people are making these pivots and just deciding to start their own business. And I think that they forget Yes, you need to invest money in order to make money, but it's also you need to be smart and not dig yourself in this financial hole that you can't get out of later on. Oh, absolutely. And the first batches of what you make, I mean, the margins, you're definitely not going to make money, right? Like they, they, you're making one sample small production in the US, you're going to take a loss. You go to Asia, you have the quantities are insane, right? So where do you get started? But I think, again, why are you doing it? Because if you know why you're doing it, then you have a better starting point, right? Like if you're trying to make something different, then go figure out how to make something different. And then you'll know how to, you know, parse it out from a business sense as to what to do next. It becomes a different question, right? Like I think people start a business and they don't know quite what problem they're trying to solve, right? And so then they lose their way. Because they're like, oh, I need to make this batch of product because, you know, I need to make this batch of product. But what is your why? Like, why are you doing that? And if it's to pose, you know, like, oh, it looks like all those founders, which we probably have over glamorized now, right? Like you put a founder on a panel, you put them on Instagram, you're championing them everywhere. And I'm not saying that a lot of us, like many of all of us deserve it, right? Anyone who's taking a leap and we should champion women, absolutely. But by only showing that side, you're, you're doing a disservice. I don't think everyone should be a founder, right? Like everyone should find fulfillment, but there are many different ways of finding that. And we need to talk about the whole picture of how much sacrifice is involved too. Wow. It's really interesting. It's a really interesting concept. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Manny's and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. 
MoonPig.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. And we're back. I want to switch the topic here for a minute and go to thread to thread up because I feel like this is a wonderful company that you at Kuliana work with. Can you explain to us about what this system is and how it benefits a, a charity that you guys work with and just the entire process of it? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's important to start with even our launch of Fear Better Things. So in 2013, and Guyana always wanted to have a social philanthropic mission as part of our business as well, right? So from day one, we were really invested in, in adding a philanthropy perspective. Um, we used to donate to Charity Water back in the day when we started, but it wasn't quite like the right one for us at the time. It didn't complete the whole story. And so, you know, kind of in a time where all these brands were doing the the one for ones, right? Like the Warby Parkers, the top the Toms, right? They would make another one of their products and then give it to other people who quote unquote needed it. Sometimes they didn't exactly need those, those, those products. Um, so they were, they were kind of making more. And what Carla and I realized that there's a with fewer better things, there's this really empowering thing that happens for a woman to live with less when she gets rid of all the stuff that is not adding value to her life, she feels lighter, right? And she's using the products that she has in her life. It's this really powerful feeling. Um, She feels more in control. And so could we take that feeling and also connect it to the people who receive it? So could we actually, she would feel even better if the products that she was getting rid of were going to people who could actually use it. Right. So there would be a a much better um, she would actually get rid of that one product that she shouldn't have bought. Right. Because she never quite reached that size or she felt really guilty because she never wore it. Right. Like those final pieces. Um, So we work with this amazing um, organization in Los Angeles called Heart. And what we found is that they're actually helping women um, from any situation of abuse or, or violence in their lives, right? Helping them start over. And so all of a sudden we're like, wow, all these pieces that these women are getting rid of are also going to go to people to empower other women to li- to, to move on, to, to actually start to live again in many ways. And so um, we started that program in 2013. So I think we were one of the first to actually leverage products that were not being used. So we weren't using, we weren't making other products. We were leveraging existing products and then giving it to women who could use them, right? So from so 2013, we started our Lean Closet program. Amazing program, but the reach of it was limited, right? So if you're doing this nationally, how do you get all of these women? We, we, we were basically accepting donations in our distribution center, and then we would mail them. And there inherently was a little bit of waste, right? Like mailing it from us, mailing it to them, you know, like it's, it's just trying to figure out how we could do this at, at larger scale. And so what when we partnered with ThreadUp, which was a phenomenal partnership, continues to be, we essentially allowed their their system in the middle, they will collect and take all of those pieces and they'll put it up for resale. And then we will reward our customers with Guiana credit. And then from that credit um, and from that money that we receive, that we will donate to to um, Heart that way. And so we had lots of conversations with Heart about this. And we said, hey, we're going to switch from product donations to monetary donations. How is that going to affect um, your women, what they need. And, and the great thing is that um, we still, as a, on the Guyana side, will donate products of our own. So we'll still meet that need by donating products directly, but we also donate financially. So there's zero waste. It's incredible. It's great. Or can I use the word zero? I don't want to be a greenwasher. All there's there almost is minimal no waste. waste. Yeah, <laughs> minimal waste. There is less Thank waste. You. Thank you. And all you. of those products are. I think women. There is a nice incentive, right? That if you're getting rid of pieces, that you can resell them. And a lot of a lot for a lot of these women, it's the first time they've ever done that. And you know, it's not just donations. So there there is a, a really nice feeling that they are really participating in the program to also resell the products that they that they are no longer using. I want to highlight a few of the words that you said, which was fewer and better 
And I know that you've tied that into the philosophy of Kuyana. Mm-hmm. And I mean, again, just going back to when you started this, when you co-founded your company, that that's usually not what you say to a consumer who would be purchasing yeah. specifically clothing <laughs> or right. accessories, bags. Usually you say like more is more like you need the next bag, you need the next trend. And so and this was even to remind us all this was pre Marie Kondo. You know, you're not yes. holding on right. to skirts <laughs> to see if you feel joy yet. You know, no one's doing yeah. any of that. No. So, I mean, was there? I mean, I'm trying to picture like, are you guys just sitting in an office space together to come up with a lot? of these foundational, you know, kind of properties of your company? Are you are you sitting? Are, is there wine in your hand? Is there coffee in your hand? Are you like walking through a park? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, can you walk us through some of these conversations that you and Carla did have? Because I mean, we are now 11 years later, and, and they all still ring so true. And not only that, so many other companies are now trying to emulate what you guys have done. Yeah, no, and people like it's it's so true. People thought we were crazy, right? When we announced the company, an e-commerce company, and the you know like the the headlines and we in the press because we announced alongside of funding rounds. It was very much like e-commerce company wants you to buy less, and they're like, doesn't make Wait, any what? sense. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, like it took us, it, it and it was. It was a crazy thing and our investors really believed that we, you know, understood our consumer better than anyone. But what we saw out there was like women who were very dissatisfied with all of the stuff that they had, right? And so what they needed to do to get to that fulfillment level is to get rid of things and buy better, right? And so, you know, we, but the journey to that clarity took a very long time, long for us, right? Like it took us a year and a half. So we started working on Kuyana in 2011, came out with Fear Better Things in 2013. And literally we would be at the whiteboard, uh, Candace and Kayla every week, wine, coffee, you know, chocolate, you name it, like always trying to hit as to like who we are, why are we doing what we're doing? And because it used to take us 15 minutes to describe what Kuyana did, you know, like we go, we go to these countries and then we, we find, you know, local makers that are luxury artisans. And then, you know, we work with them to make small batches of things. And then we launch it country. But I mean, it was, it took forever. And what we realized over time is that part of this was, you know, me and anthropologist Carla already living this way and having this very clear mindset of, uh, of, of her fewer better life. And we didn't have the words for it, but I would watch this woman, you know, and she had a certain amount of hangers. And when she'd buy something new, she would get rid of something. Like she would ne- it never occurred to her to buy more hangers, right? <laughs> like she, she was, she was so fewer better that as like, I kind of was like, wow, like you had, and she had an outfit for everything. Like everything in her life was like organized and under control. Like we would go on these like 24 hour trips, right? Just travel time. Cause you know, we didn't have money as entrepreneurs. We had like three connections to get to Argentina. And the first thing I would do is like, throw my bags down and want to go to bed. And she would like hang up her clothes, right? Like she just, she just had that inherent to her. And when we would launch collections, like she's like, oh, you need to take the other stuff down. And I'd be like, why? If we have it here to sell, she's like, because it's, it's cluttered. It doesn't look, it's not clear. It's not curated. It needs to be clean. It doesn't make sense to me. Right. And so I would look at all these things. And when we would talk and brainstorm, I'd be like, you know, like, I think, I think what you're, we're trying to say something here, right? The, the quality, the design, the heritage, all of it means something. They're treasures, right? Like we're making treasures for the woman. We're giving her versatility. She can live with less. And we started to, you know, toss these words around. And then, you know, it just kind of came like it, it, all of a sudden, like after like banging our heads against the walls for so long in one sitting, it was like fewer, better things, lean closet movement, right? Like we just connected all of it. It was because we were talking about it so much. I think we also, you know, we also, did the thing. So as I want to, you know, it just wasn't like we had magical just brain dump all of a sudden. We, you know, we did user research. We went into women's homes. We would sell at festivals, like, you know, directly. Like we had our own store, right? Like, because our office opened up to a store. So women would come in. So we would interact with our product. We would see how they would wear it. And and what we realized is that even though Kuyana made few things at that time, fewer, that the woman would always grab them, 
that they were, those were the ones that they were wearing all the time because they were made better. And from an e-commerce perspective, we're like, hey, this makes sense because once you have fewer, better things, once you have a Kuyana sweater, once you have a recycled cashmere, you want more of it because you realize how poor the it's other really things true. are. And so that, I think that's where we were like, this is going to win because, you know, remember, hey, you remember 2011, you couldn't even repeat buy a t-shirt as a woman. Yeah. Right? Like, what were women walking around saying? And this is what we would hear. Like, we asked women, like, what are their essentials in 2012? And they were like, it was hard for them to answer. Yeah. Right? Like, mm. oh, I have this one pair of jeans, but I wish I bought two because they don't make it anymore. Or like, I used to love this bag, but now the quality has degraded. Like, we were we were really struggling right? Like at that time to find pieces that actually added any quality. Now it seems like there's lots of options for essentials, but not then. And not ones that were made with beauty and design that you wanted to wear over and over again. Like they were black, white, and gray and super boring. And, you know, have have you always been, I think it's called a tactile shopper. Like you have to touch it. Is that uh, yeah? Me too. I'm literally the person in the store, just like touching every single thing. And I know that doesn't sound good during COVID times, but I can't help it. I have to. I have to feel every single fabric as I walk by it. Well, I but that's that's candid. I tell people that, and you're right. I didn't even realize the COVID part of this. (laughs) But I tell people to go into the Kuyana store and just close your eyes and just touch all of the materials. You will be amazed at how different it is. I'm realizing that I'm not that, but what is it you guys get from touching those materials? Is it, is it a, explain that further to me. It's, it is just to really understand and shop, not by your sight, right? That, but what it looks like in the style, but to really understand the materiality of something first, like what does, you know, most of the silk on the market um, is 16 to 18 mummy count. They measure silk and mummy count. Kuyana silk is 24 to 26. So you can just imagine touching silk that has heft and weight to it like a sari, right? The silk mm-hmm. just feels so different than that paper silk. And you, as, as you touch it, you're like, oh, this silk here that's super thin is going to cling to my body and not have that drape, mm-hmm. right? Like Indian women are obsessed with the fall right? Like when you're draping a sari, they keep on folding it and making it fall. They want to see how it falls on their body. And and a, and a cheap silk sari just won't fall the same way. And so you, you feel that. So like, it's, it's just thinking about shopping as our grandmothers did or our great grandmothers, right? Like they would turn it inside out, look at the weave, look at the stitch, right? They would look at the quality of how it was made because they couldn't, they didn't have the luxury of disposable, mm-hmm. right. right? They needed these things right. to last and to wear it over and over and over again. And that's the heritage we wanted to bring back. Were you a vintage shopper? I definitely in college at yeah. Berkeley, I definitely did. But it was, I think more in Indian clothes is where I developed it. Right. Because in the Indian clothes and just seeing because all of this, all these garments would be passed down. And I would watch my mom like my mom's an expert at like taking an old sari and reinventing it in, in a different way, like working with the tailor making it feel modern and new. And Carla would, you know, being in Ecuador, she didn't have access to fashion. fashion. So she would get the magazines and she basically would find makers to make her low rise jeans. Right. She would just like make it happen for herself in Ecuador. So I think it, it, it developed more from those those sentiments. And so both you and Carla, are you both children of immigrants? Are you both immigrants yourselves? I'm so sorry. I had this all in another piece of paper and I did not grab it. Oh, so no, it's I fine. apologize. I, um, I don't know how it depends on how you count. I was born and raised here. Carla went to college here. So she was she was actually born in the state. She was a grad school baby, but she grew up in Ecuador and then came to college as an undergrad. But so I don't know, I guess she's first generation and I'm second. Depends on how you count. (laughs) Well, and I just love how your heritage inspires what you guys create and the whole experience, the experience as a whole, just hearing you talk about the fabrics and the flow and the weight of them and everything. I mean, it's such an experience. So now now I know next time I walk into one of your stores masked, of course, and ready to shop, but... (laughs) To, to close on. my with gl- <laughs> to close my eyes and really experience it as a whole because I'm excited to see what that does and see where that takes me because 
you're right. I'm much more of a visual shopper. So that's a good, that's a good experience for me to have. And it might change my perspective on, on the garment. Yeah. I mean, it's, combining the two, right? Because then you're like, oh, this is actually a product that's going to last. Like, let me read the care instructions while I'm in the store, right? Right. Like, And if they're telling you to dry clean their cashmere, you're like, oh, this is probably people who don't know how to do cashmere because cashmere should never be dry cleaned, right? Like we should understand how the materials work before we we, we purchase things. That's our goal, right? And so that's Guyana's goal is to get to the purity of that material, right? So we, you know, we, we scoured the world for the best material. That's where we started. And from there, you can make beautiful products if you connect it to the best makers. But that's why our alpacas from Peru, you know, our cashmere comes from Italy, like the, you know, the the recycled cashmere, who's the, who are the best people to make sweaters in the world? Europeans, Right. That's not being that doesn't mean they have access to all the wool, but they know how to mill it. They know how to refine it. They know how to make thread. That's why it matters what country it's made in. Right. Mm. All of all of these things matter. So like our recycled cashmere, it 97 percent recycled is also recycled cashmere from Italy. It makes a difference. Right. Wow. All of yeah. these things add up. And then and then you have to realize that you, you know, like unfortunately, you do have to pay for it, right? So if you see that those prices don't really make sense and you add it up, right? And I think a lot of attention now, people are like, oh, global supply chain, like it actually costs money to ship things. Yes, it does, right? And you, if you don't see those prices in there, then you know that how much they actually paid on the garment itself, on the material itself is, is too little, and it's, there's no way it could last, right? Like the, the markup, the margins, all of that matters. A $100 sweater means, a $100 sweater from a direct consumer ma- brand means they paid, you know, $20 to make the sweater and the material cost of it, right? At a $100 sweater for a mass brand, that means they paid $5, 350 to make the sweater, yeah. right? Like it matters. I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm just kind of making up these numbers, not really doing the math in you know, my head right now, but just like an average, like it's, you know, like that, You how much can you do with 350? Or $5. Right. It's, it's the idea of it too. And like what it stands for. I, I know in 2020, you guys made a promise to reach hundred percent sustainability, sustainable made materials by 2022. That after having this conversation, that almost feels impossible. Is that something that you guys have accomplished or are on your way to accomplishing? We because- are almost there. Yes. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's certified sustainable, right? So that means that we are doing and following all the protocols by what the world has dubbed to be sustainable, right? By, by, so it's, it depends on each material, but the biggest offenders kind of in our line are almost reinvented. So the tote inserts, right? Getting that structure, some linings of our leather cases, like those are the ones that are left and we're almost there. You know, we could say we're there. The newer productions are. Um, the only reason we don't is that we're still, it would be wasteful to sell things we, not sell things we already have. Right, right. Right. So we're still we're, we're not going to claim that for ourselves until we sell the products that are actually already made. Right. So mm-hmm. so once we do that, we'll be we'll be ready to announce that we're we're almost that we're there. Well, congratulations. That's a huge feat. Thank you. It's Truly. funny today due to some construction, I'm having to record from my closet. So I'm actually surrounded by all of my clothes <laughs> and just seeing <laughs> and knowing that there's like a whole percentage of clothes in here that I actually have had for 10 years, some more, some less. I'm a saver, uh, but I'm also like a huge reseller. But, uh, you know, I know that this next statement might be controversial to some. I have been watching every episode of And Just Like That. I am in on the ride. I'm all for the Sex and the City reboot. (laughs) And you know what? Carrie still has all of her clothes and was just doing like a whole, you know, giving away, going through them even back from the 80s. So, you know, what? if Carrie Bradshaw can keep her clothes from the 80s, then I think we can all lean into keeping around some of our pieces from a long time ago, reworking them and investing in ourselves a little bit in the long run and the planet. Right. I definitely think so. I, I think if we can norm- normalize 
rewear a little bit more, right? And I think this next generation is doing that, which is so beautiful to see, right? Like, I think they're over, they're over the Instagram staged photos, right? Like they, it just isn't real to them. So I think they're, they're seeking that authenticity, which is a beautiful thing. And, and it's coming not from, oh, we should just change fashion, but let's change the norms of what it means to be fashionable, right? And I think that's that's what Guiana is doing, right? Like, let's just re, let's make it still fun, right? And that's why we exist. Like, we've done, we've checked all those boxes so that you can come and just enjoy yourself. Like, that's the goal, right? So that's why we don't hit you over the head with it. We're not always trying to say sustainable, sustainable, sustainable. Um, we want a woman to still have her love affair with her handbag because that's powerful, powerful emotion. She mm. feels great about herself. And a woman who feels confident is unstoppable in our opinion. It's really true. And, you know, we speaking of the younger generation, we have a lot of younger listeners on this podcast. And this is why we wanted to have this conversation, because you are right. They are changing the game. And I'm so excited for them to, if they didn't already know, learn about Kuyana and also learn about what is it? What's the coalition that you discussed? Sustainable uh, Apparel Coalition. And to learn about the Sustainable Apparel Apparel Coalition and everything that they can do to try and make the right decisions, to make, to purchase the sustainable brands and to live by that motto. And so thank you. Thank you, Shilpa, and to your co-founder, Carla, for creating a company that we can trust and to being sort of the... the you're, you're groundbreaking in the sense that you're having the conversation. Not only is it a brand, and you're, you're right, you're not shoving it down our throats, but you guys are really open and always constantly having the conversation. And you're really transparent. And that's not something that we see all the time in the fashion industry. So thanks for joining us and having the conversation today. Thank you. I know I, I love talking about it. I think it's so important. And I, you know, I, I think the I think, you know, kind of to close out with what you asked me at the top of this is what can we do? And I think that the answer is just to do something, right? Like, don't, you can't do everything. Not everyone can be, you know, like, who, I forgot the woman's name who's only like lived with, like in the last 10 years, only wasted like a waste one trash can worth, um, right? Yeah, like just phenomenal that she's able to do that. Or Greta Thornburg, right? Like, and all these women are super inspiring, but that doesn't mean you can't do something, right? And so figuring out what those things are and starting somewhere is, is really, really important. Well, good. Now, Candace, no pressure, but you can look around your closet. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm hitting the resale shops later so I can shop at Kiana. Yep. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Shilpa, thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. Thanks for having me. Where can our listeners follow you on Instagram? Obviously, they can go to Kiana.com. Where can they follow you personally to follow your journey? I'm um, Shilpa Arsha at, on, on Instagram. Yeah, that's that's usually where I, I live. I've, I've tried. I've tried the TikTok thing. I just I, it's not for me. <laughs> Respect. Don't even. That's a whole Respect. other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even get into that right now. We are so on that level with you. Um, but thank you so much for coming today, and um, we really appreciate having you. Of course. Well, now I'm going to have to not just throw my clothes away after this conversation that we've had. And one of the things that I really took from Shilpa and her co-founder. Carla is the hanger policy that Carla has in her closet. And I think this can really help me having a specific amount of hangers. And when you buy something new, it replaces something else. And then you can take that and use ThreadUp, this wonderful company, to then give back. And this is something that, Candice, you can hold me accountable to. Mel, you can hold me accountable to. I really want to make sure this is something that I do and I don't just become part of the problem and continue to be a part of that problem. Well, it's difficult. You know, it's there's an element of wanting to keep up with the Joneses. Like, do I really need, you know, now I realize I have so many freaking cropped pair of, you know, high-waisted <laughs> jeans and everyone's re wearing freaking low-rise wide-leg jeans. And I'm like, well, I need low-rise wide-leg <sighs> jeans because that's what everyone's wearing now. And I'm going to look like dated and old and not hip. And... That's that, and that's the cycle that I feel like we can all get caught up into. So it it is it's hard to just say, you know, here are my staples. Yeah, I completely understand why Steve Jobs and then that woman who stole all the money to make that weird Theranos girl, Elizabeth 
Thank you, Miss Theranos. Yes. Yes. That, you know, they just wore like a black turtleneck and some like, you know, Levi's. Like, I get that. You know, I totally get that. But I also really like fashion and the way that it makes me feel. And so I feel like getting the opportunity to sit down with Shilpa and hear more about Kuyana, like that's kind of the best of both worlds, especially now. You know, it's like we have grown up. We, we, you know, we wear and dress differently now than we did when we knew each other, you know, close to 15 years ago. And that leans its way into a little bit more of choosing kind of staples that feel really good and have longevity, even if they're just there for your child to throw up on them, you know, because that is (laughs) I have a beautiful cashmere dress that I'm staring at that I have to hand wash the puke out of later today. Do you still have low rise denim that are bell bottom in your closet? Because this is one of those things I think I might and I have a feeling you might, too. I was never good at the low rise. You're a low rise oh. kind of gal. Yeah, I, I, that's my nightmare. I will be a high rise. <laughs> till the, I will be buried in high rise jeans. <laughs> that is going to be my request or a prairie dress. I'm more of a prairie dress kind of girl. That's what I was going to say. You're definitely a prairie dress girl. Yeah, <laughs> I have dresses. Like I have. Like right now, I can see. I remember when I was back in my singing days, and I was a bright redheaded gal, just 17 on a music label. And I was going to a very fancy party. And I remember going to like a vintage store and and found like a like an expensive vintage dress and shoes. And I, you know, couldn't believe I was spending the money on it, but I still have it. I still have I still have the dress that I wore for New Year's, you know, two years ago that I'd gotten 12 years ago because they lost my luggage and I had no clothes to wear. And I already wore half of your clothes because right. you were so kind sharing with me. <laughs> and so my only option was to buy a dress at this very fancy hotel store. And they and they said, well, what are you looking for? And I said, anything that's not this robe. And what's the cheapest thing in here? And they said, it's a $600 dress. And I was like, well, I guess that's what I'm buying then. And I still have it. <laughs> Which is fantastic and such a testament to you and your mentality and appreciation for clothes. Truly, I mean that because you had that dress not knowing that 10 years later we would try to rewear our dresses again. I think that's the idea that I need to continue that you have done, that Shilpa and everyone at Kuyana have done. And so I am now learning this. And now I guess I specifically know what my New Year's resolution is, even though, you know, January is over and it's February. But let's just, you know, we're going with it. I got 11 months to do it. Let's do it. What is time? (laughs) What is time these days? Just a figment of our imaginations. (laughs) What is a calendar? Speaking of a calendar, we have another great episode coming for you guys next week. We hope you enjoyed this one and we'll see you then. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions. Produced by Melissa DeMonts. Edited by Diane King. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. Music by Joe King. And advertising partnership with Acast.